Good afternoon. I'm Ed Neves, 2020 State President, and I would like to thank you for joining the Illinois Realtors Online MLS Forum. The MLS Forum began a few years ago to keep the realtor community up to date with the rapid changes in MLS services, data, and technology. With the challenges that we've all faced in 2020, it is especially important that you receive this valuable information this year. First on today's forum, you'll hear from a panel moderated by Rebecca Jensen, President and CEO of MRED, with panelists Dine Evans-Hoffer and CEO of the Council of MLS, and Sam DeBoard, CEO of the Real Estate Standards Organization. The panel will discuss what's on the horizon that MLS and brokers should be paying attention to and how the pandemic has affected our industry. The panel will be followed by two presentations, the first on emerging technology trends with MRED Chief Technology Officer, Chris Heron. Then the forum will close with a presentation by Gay Kororotan, NAR Senior Economist and Director of Housing and Commercial Research. She will provide information on how MLS data and housing stats can be used strategically in your business and marketing efforts. To get our panel discussion underway, I would like to introduce Rebecca Jensen, CEO of MRED. She has worked in the MLS industry since 1998 and has well over a decade of experience as an MLS CEO. She currently serves as board chair for Russell and the MLS Grid, and she is a board member at the California Regional MLS and the Broker Public Portal. She is on committees for NAR, CMLS, Realtor.com, and HomeSnap. Rebecca has spent years on the Inman 100 Most Influential People in Real Estate list. That is quite the accomplishment and the Swanepoel Power 200. She has also been honored with the WCR Chicago's Elevate Award and RIS Media's Futurist Award. At this point, I'll return it over to Rebecca so she can introduce our panelists and get the session underway. Thank you very much, Rebecca, it's all yours. Great, thank you so much, Ed, and everyone at Illinois Realtors um, for giving us this opportunity to share what's happening in the MLS industry. Um, and I would like to first start out by introducing my two panelists, um, Danae Evans and Sam DeBoard. And they um, have spent a long time in the industry and they definitely know how to keep current on everything that's happening. In fact, um, when we were preparing for this session today, Sam told me that he's also moderating panels at the Inman conference. And so I promised to get him out on time, but um, for those of you that don't know him, let me just tell you a little bit about their background. Um, Danae Evans is the CEO of CMLS, also known as the Council of Multiple Listing Services, which is an organization that represents more than 200 of the nation's leading multiple listing services. And she's nationally recognized as an industry leader. She's been named as a Real Trends Game Changer, an RAS Media Newsmaker. She's also been included in the Swanepoel Power 200 and the Inman Top 100 Most Influential People in Real Estate. And she currently serves on the board of Second Century Ventures, the advisory board for Pearl Certification, a member of the Freddie Mac Task Force for Affordable Housing, and a member of the President's Associate Council at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. So thank you very much, Danae, for being here. Um, and Sam DeBoard uh, is... Uh, the CEO of RESO, also called Rezo. <laughs> it's an ongoing debate about how you say it, but I prefer RESO, um, which is also known as the Real Estate Standards Organization. 
And Sam has more than two decades of experience in the real estate industry spanning um, not only uh, RISO, but also real estate brokerage, mortgage lending, and technology consulting. And previously, he served as the president's liaison for MLS and data management at NAR and on the board of directors at NAR Second Century Ventures and California Regional Multiple Listing Service. So again, thank both of you uh, for being here. And you know, for all of those attendees that just gave a standing ovation, go ahead and sit down <laughs> and we can go ahead and get started. Um, so we would like to just basically have a conversation about what's happening in the MLS industry um, so that the brokers and association executives on this, um, this Zoom meeting can hear uh, firsthand from the people that are really making change in the industry, um, not only what your organizations are doing, but also what you're hearing. And um, I know Sam, you recently wrote an article for Inman about the now policy. And so um, just in case there are people that are listening in that haven't had a chance to read it, um, I'd love if both of you could kind of talk about the NOW policy, where it began um, and where it's going. And so first, Sam, since uh, I believe it started at Risto, would you kick us off? Thanks, Rebecca. Uh, and really, when we start talking about policy, I think that word sometimes turns people off a little bit. Maybe we're going to get into a little bit of a boring topic. But this is really about technology efficiency and everything RISO does is really about bringing efficiency to the technology of MLSs, of brokers and agents, um, and then for your consumers that you work with. So the concept that came from our pain point sessions, which is where we bring brokers, MLS execs, et cetera, together to say, what's not working in your technology? You don't have to know the answer of how to fix it. You don't have to have the solution. But you come to research sessions and say, these things don't work. Are there people here who would know how we could fix this? And we heard from brokers and MLS execs as well that at this point in the way we use data in the industry, um, we're too constrained by old concepts of how we silo data. Um, we've got things like an IDX feed that might be for advertising. You've got a broker back office feed for different data. Somewhere in the middle, you've got a VAO feed that's got a little bit of both. And um, when brokers are working with an MLS, they just want to get their data and use their data according to the rules. And not surprisingly, MLS execs agreed that simplicity is what they're looking for. Good, strong rules, good policy, but then simplicity to make it easy for the brokers to do the business with their consumers. So we really had a almost consensus with the group of brokers and MLS folks that there was a need to simplify around one policy, move that forward to the industry in a way that People could continue using the tools they have right now, but start transitioning to something simpler and easier because data is a huge part of brokers' business these days. They're depending on more and more data and more and more technology to supply the, the services and the information that they need to their consumers. So we brought this to a number of different groups um, saying this is what RISO membership's looking for. Um, lots of your brokers and MLSs work with us, obviously, at RISO. Virtually every MLS works with it in some, us uh, in some fashion at RISO. Um, and we've talked to folks at um, you know, NAR's committee. So there's an advisory board that brings policy to the MLS committee and then to the board of directors. And it's really just been conversational at this point. What might that look like if we could have a very efficient single policy? How would that fit best for brokers? How would it fit best for MLSs? 
um, and, and do it in a way that sort of throws off the constraints of the way we used to think about data and technology and just start from scratch with the cleanest system we could get to. So um, we're still in that sort of building the model phase and that's probably a good thing for Danae to be able to talk about. Yes. Um, so, so I think if I was to summarize a bunch of that, the way I describe it is that we have to look at how we can foster innovation and, and improve those efficiencies and really help move our industry forward while still ensuring that MLSs can, can continue to provide that gold star standard of the data, right? There's this really, this the balance that we have to do. And so um, all those things you described, Sam, they're very important and yes, it gets complicated. MLS has issued a, a white paper where we said working with data consumers just to try and define a bunch of those terms and what you need to what because it does get confusing. So absolute efficiency work with their um, work with their um, work with their data. So um, at CMLS, one of our strategic priorities has been national policy and how do we foster that innovation? Um, we did just come off last meeting where we did propose and get approved and it's implementing here shortly is the participant data access policy, which as an acronym is PDAP, um, which I jokingly call the public display of affection policy. So I can remember the acronym, but it's really participant data access policy. Um, and so um, not only do we propose the policy, but next week we will be rolling out um, from a work group of, of industry people, um, how that can be implemented. And that whole purpose was that brokers get their own data back. It was mind blowing to me that that policy didn't actually exist and it seemed kind of silly, but it didn't. So we wanted to cover that and make sure our brokers got their own data back. So um, I think we're looking forward very much of what you're talking about, Sam, is, um, part of the mission of CMLS is to bring the industry together. And that means not just MLSs, but brokers, technology vendors, working with Rezo. You and, I, you and I have had several conversations about this policy. How do we bring the industry together to solve those issues? Because if it's just MLS people sitting in a room, we're gonna have one perspective. If it's just the brokers or just the technology, the key will be that we're bringing all these different participants to find those solutions to those inefficiencies and foster that innovation going forward. So. We are, CMLS is committed to taking the, 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 that forward and uh, putting a work group together and proposing stuff to that advisory group you mentioned. Um, the, the tech, another, I don't have another acronym to, you can tell me what it is, Sam, but I just call it the Emerging Issues Group <laughs> um, that we will be proposing that policy to uh, in, in the springtime with, with both the policy, the implementation guide, and best practices around how to do that for, for MLSs and, and their uh, business partners. So I like to think, and I love that RISO and CMLS work together with NAR um, to make big things like this happen. And so um, it sounds like CMLS has some resources that might be available on this. And would that be, would you um, recommend that MLSs and their leadership look first to CMLS and then go to RISO or how would you recommend they um, dig deeper into this policy? So um, on the now policy is, is what Sam was describing. We'll be making a call for a work group as soon as I get past our own conference. Ours starts next week with our legal session. So I, 
I had to wait until after that. But after that, we'll be calling together a work group to start convening people to speak, to, to share their input. And there's already some work done. Sam had already been circulating. We have some great feedbacks from some different uh, technology at brokers. So I would say keep an eye on that and contribute to what that becomes. Help shape that policy and give us the perspective from all different angles. Yeah, that's really having it CMLS's hands is great to have folks with boots on the ground at the MLS level know how policies get implemented. Um, got a lot of great ideas so far that are involved in that. And just for uh, folks um, in terms of the groups we're talking about, that advisory board meets in March and then the board of directors for NAR meets in May for mid-year. So that's the potential timeline for something like that to come together. So there's a lot of time for CMLS and the MLS is to work on what that implementation would look like um, and kind of give more clarity to the industry before actually passing the policy. Great, thank you. Um, so I'd like to switch topics a little bit. Um, I know that I receive at MRAN a lot of inquiries about what's happening in like the commercial and the rental space, especially with you know, all of us working from home and people reassessing whether or not they need an office lease or what that looks like. And um, so I wonder if you uh, both would let us know what you're hearing in the industry. And I know uh, recently I read something about Coldstar joining RESO as one of the members helping to develop commercial standards for our industry. So um, Sam, if you wouldn't mind kicking us off and letting us know kind of what you see happening in the commercial and rental space. Sure, that's a big focus for us right now. As most of you probably know, RISA was initially very focused on MLSs specifically, and that was very highly residential. The average MLS is much more residential than commercial. Um, and so we've had a commercial data set, we've had a rental and multifamily data set um, within the data dictionary, but our focus has been very residential to this point. Um, but we see a lot of demand for expansion from MLSs in particular. Your brokers are saying, you know, can't we get more data for all of our purposes, but we work in residential and commercial. We have rentals, um, you know, when we have these kinds of things, we need them to start at the MLS, which is sort of our, our lifeblood as a broker in terms of data. And then when it's within the MLS and it's standardized and there's standard ways to access it, it can flow into our other tools. So yes, we had uh, CoStar just joined the organization recently, um, other commercial organizations like Crexy as well. And they're coming in with their data sets that they use on the commercial side that traditionally have just not been standardized. They're just different in every implementation. Um, and these folks also work in multifamily and rentals. Um, and so they can bring in a broader data set. We can look at that with our hundreds and hundreds of member organizations and say, what should an MLS's rental data look like? And right now, in a lot of cases, it's probably just a handful of fields. Um, but if you want to go big and be able to play on these big data platforms and really help um, consumers or business partners with your data, you really need to be able to expand that set. So um, we've got that from one side in terms of commercial. Um, we've got Rental Beasts who joined uh, Riso as well. They work directly with MLSs to get inventory and to get those data fields into an MLS. And again, that's a critical component there. It's not just having the fields in your MLS, but actually getting rental inventory in there. So that's an exciting time for us because we really think we're gonna be able to help MLSs just build out many more services and, and more full services in terms of data to supply to your partners and to your broker participants um, and really bring more folks into the fold in that standardization side. Exciting. 
Great. And Danae, you were telling me that you were recently having some conversations around rentals and commercial. Can you share some of the details? Absolutely. I think to your, your point, Sam, um, it's about being able to power that future need of the professionals, power the need of the realtor as this marketplace does evolve. Um, and so um, the new consumer demands, the new professional demands, the MLS has to constantly think about as being the marketplace, the real estate marketplace, just constantly questioning and evaluating what should be included in that. So as you rent, said, rentals, as we're preparing for our conference, we have a panel on rentals um, and, and that impact and what does that look like for an MLS? Why would you have it? And how important that data is, that data is to the data set overall and just having that information about your marketplace. Um, because um, earlier this morning I was uh, listening Inman, Inman, I forget what it's called, but there's an Inman uh, conference happening. And uh, there was two people on there who were a little outside of our industry, but talking about rentals in a different concept of um, like short-term rentals and, and looking at, at a single family residence is more evaluating as cap rates and more in a commercial concept about how they're producing income streams. And so again, just as MLSs and thinking about us facilitating the marketplace what data do we need in there to maintain that, right? And to really power the professionals so that they can meet the needs of their customers. And so just because we've always done it that way, doesn't mean that we should. We've really got to constantly question those things and think about this evolving marketplace and evolving needs, so. Yeah, um, if you think about a real estate agent, I was a broker and agent for many years. There was a really disjointed part of my relationship with my clients. Uh, the rentals just weren't in the MLS. They just, we didn't have the inventory. So we would do whatever we could as a real estate agent to help them and try to work with them. Um, but it was something you knew beforehand that you were probably not going to close the deal for them. And you were probably not going to get paid. And you did it anyway, because you were trying to help them with the relationship and, and build that client base. But when the MLS can really help support you, um, you've, you've got somebody who can build a much bigger and much stronger relationship business that way. Right. And you mentioned uh, Rental Beast just joined Riso. We have also had very good experience with them at MRED. So I'm happy to see that vendors are also coming into that space to help MLSs so that MLSs can in turn obviously help the brokerage community. So um, shout out to Rental Beast. They are wonderful. Um, so we mentioned about how the market is changing because of remote work. And can you give any um, explanation as far as what RISO and CMLS is either seeing or specifically doing um, that might be actionable for the MLSs in Illinois to take note of and maybe pursue? Um, either I'll, I'll take that one. Um, I think if anyone's familiar with, with LEED certification and LEED accreditations of, um, uh, I had mine, I was a LEED green associate and it was very much about building, about live, work and play. And um, if we didn't just jump into what that looks like today as like everybody is considering that, that where do I live, work and play just became so central to, 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 to our homes, right? So, um, you know, that used to be kind of a fringe thing of, of I work downstairs in the in the storefront and then I go live upstairs and uh, the play was your area around you. And now just looking at home is sort of that concept. And so I'm hearing more and more discussion and more and more uh, consumer wanting to um, search for, you know, being able to search for a home office 
or a home gym or a home school as like, you know, I'm battling with my kids right now because I think they're in class. So like, who's got the most bandwidth here? Um, you know, or, or workouts, um, cell coverage, right? Like in my neighborhood, everybody here has the super duper fancy cables that I don't know the name of, but my husband does. Um, but like, it didn't come down our cul-de-sac, right? At some point, if you're looking for a house in the future and you've got some major companies who have said, we're okay going work from home, it, it is going to have a longer term impact. So be thinking again, that consumer expectation, um, I will say I personally am a consumer right now because I have a house I'm listing for sale and trying to get the photos of that house out and the video and the Matterports and the 3D tours. It's so overwhelming. And like, because it's so new to everyone, just trying to get them to connect on what goes where and, and how and what. Um, it's been an adventure for me. It's been a good one just to help learn and understand from, from where I am in the industry to help communicate that out that we can hopefully um, just make it a little easier experience. But I think we just have to really pay attention to the new consumer behaviors and wants um, as, as this has made some significant change. Somebody said uh, a few weeks ago, it's like, we just, we just evolved like a, a decade in, in six months, right? And whether it's a decade or five years, I've heard different times, but we, it just was so rapid and we've got to grab it and figure it out as an industry to keep leading through it. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's really just looking at those consumer trends. And like you said, they've accelerated so quickly right now. Um, I'm working from home right now and I have three kids in the house all streaming school because they're in remote school. Uh, I can't connect on the regular Wi-Fi. I've got a cellular hotspot that I'm using to take these calls right now. So that's what people are going to want to know, not just, you know, randomly giving people information about what's house by house, but how do we define those things? Is there a category we need in the MLS that says cable broadband, fiber, you know, other kind of satellite high speed access? Do we need to be able to say, I have a home office and it just happens to be a cubby in the basement? Or do we need to have certain standards around what a home office is? Does it have certain kinds of access to electrical? You know, does it actually get a decent Wi-Fi signal? Is it an exterior office versus an interior office? Um, and I think, as you said, we're, we're seeing such acceleration in people wanting these as some of their primary needs for their home right now. Um, we're going to want to do a lot more research around that and figure out how we can provide more clarity to the consumer who may be looking now because they work remotely. They might be looking in three different cities or even a couple of different states for where they want to buy their next home. And to be able to compare a home with an external office and cable broadband across two states requires us to put some standards around the way we define those those parts of the data. Yeah, absolutely. And I point out that it's really clear why Sam is at Rezo because he just got it off like all the really clear names and definitions of those things that I'm like those cables in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for clarifying that for me, um, Sam. But I but I also wanted to add on you said um, about people looking to where they might in different places. Uh, something else I heard also was people living where they want to, not where they have to. So this right. kind of really opening up this picture, which I think goes even more to MLSs. And uh, it's said so regularly in, in I hear in the MLS con uh, conversation is artificial boundaries. So where mm -hmm. people want to look for houses, I, I just think that it's blowing that up even more so is that I don't just have to look here because I live here and I work here. I, 
they're detached anymore. Um, so just, I, I just wanted to add that to, to what you were saying in addition to proper terms. Thanks, and, Dan. And, yeah, and your point about tours, you know, folks are buying homes sight unseen, um, not all of them, but they're wanting a lot more information before they have to show up and meet an agent and get in the car and go to a property, whether they're buying remotely from another state or whether they just don't want to go do 25 home tours in person with people. They want to see a virtual tour and a digital floor plan and a walkthrough um, and, and being able to support them in those things, not ad hoc, not just adding a, you know, bolting a functionality onto one MLS, but to have a common way of us saying, you know, every listing's got a slot here for a floor plan and a slot here for a virtual tour. And here's how the broker can download it. And here's how the agent can download it and get it to their customers. Those are, those are areas we need to continue to explore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe one or both of you said it earlier about the artificial boundaries between MLSs. And um, definitely what I'm hearing is more emphasis on, you know, data shares or MLSs working together to get data sets so that we can help the brokerage platforms, um, because a lot of brokerages are, are developing their own platforms that aggregate all of the data as well. So it's definitely a trend that I have been seeing um, has renewed emphasis on it during the past year for sure. Um, so I know that both of you mentioned conferences and things that are coming up and I wanted to give you the opportunity to let the audience know um, what it is that will be discussed at your upcoming conferences and uh, just let everyone know kind of what they're about and when they are. So um, please let us know more. Well, I guess since mine's first, I'll go first, Sam. <laughs> Uh, uh, so CMLS conference, um, we actually are starting next, I think it's Tuesday, I'm looking at my calendar with our legal week. So before we're doing, uh, we always have legal session. Um, so that starts next week where we talk specifically MLS issues and the legal, um, so, so it's a bunch of lawyers talking. It's probably less exciting unless you're really into that, but always great information and very, um, people really, really appreciate that. So. That starts next week and um, a lot of the same topics that are in our general session, but just the legal side of it, the legal perspective. And, and what's really exciting, we have one session that is specifically geared for uh, volunteer leadership of just really understanding uh, the legal side of being a director uh, at an MLS and uh, just kind of walking through some of those things. So uh, I've been, been uh, part of some of those planning. I'm very excited about that and the, and the new piece of what we're offering this year. And then on our main session will be the following week. And um, I think really um, the main topics, we are talking about rentals in the MLS and do MLSs have them? Why do they have them? Are they um, required submission? Are they, um, you know, what is the licensing require? We have broker talking about it and a couple of MLSs across the country and, and how they handle them. Um, we have, we're talking about a buyer's MLS. So just kind of, uh, if you think about um, typically an MLS kind of focused on the listing side of things, and we've got a lot more companies coming out looking at focusing on buyer activity and buyer's agents. So we're kind of talking about how that works within the MLS and uh, the future might be there. Uh, status quo, you heard me talk about it. Just because we've always done it doesn't mean we keep doing it. We've got to question that. We've got to see how we just really foster that that innovation and empowering the future um, the future consumer expectations, but we're doing that by powering the professional, by powering the real estate agent. So, um, and so 
I think those are some of ours. We've got I've got Sam on there. He's going to come talk policy again because policy is fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then what one I'm really excited about. We have um, uh, so Claudia coming in. Claudia Peters talking about just what she's seeing the industry looking like in three to five years. And I don't know if you've ever been able to sit down and just talk with her, but super smart and just kind of her perspective with the brokerage background. She's in venture capital now and just the people she gets to talk to. So I, I got to do that prep call with her that made me super excited the other day and uh, looking forward to that. So we really try to push what's the future look like, um, but then bring it back a little bit to fill in, okay, what tactical things can you take back today to do to help build towards that future? Because um, one of the things I'm preparing in my opening remarks is that if you are if you're waiting to say that my members aren't asking for something before you move on something, you've missed it, right? If, if, that's, the, if that's the trigger that says, oh, we should deliver this, it, it's kind of too late because somebody else is going to be meeting that, that, that need. And so really, really looking and working on as, the, as MLSs, as the leaders of those organizations, both volunteer and staff, you're really trying to see down the road, right? That's why you're here today. That's why you're participating and, and listening is to understand what are those future needs and how do you build your organizations to meet them so that when they say, hey, I do want this now, you go, okay, here you go, right? You're ready to do it and you're prepared and uh, able to power the professional, power the realtor to meet those consumer needs that are exponentially higher today based on what we've just gone through. So that's our little sneak peek. and. One last thing we are very excited about, we are working on a consumer campaign about the value of the multiple listing service. Um, that was one of our big strategies this year as well. It's called In the Know. So we will be releasing that at the conference. We've got some little sneak peeks, but just what does the multiple listing service do? What does a realtor as part of that multiple listing service community do for the buyer, for the seller? What is the value to them? And uh, we've been trying and working really hard to articulate that in clear non-industry terms, which has been really hard, but that is starting to roll out and we will really be relaunching launching that officially at uh, the conference in two weeks. So just a couple of things going on. Yeah, <laughs> not much on your to-do list. Ha ha ha. <laughs> Great. <clears throat> Sam, what's on resale's slate? We're, uh, we're in a similar situation now. Uh, I was just telling my wife that um, I didn't realize there was still conference season, even though we're all at home, but there is definitely still conference season. So uh, we're at the end of October, October 27th to 29th. Um, so easy, easy to get your staff in, 99 bucks. It's a lot cheaper than your average conference in a uh, travel year. So love to get as many of you as we can. Um, the less exciting part, but very exciting for us at Riso, is that this is the year we moved to one standard. So we moved from where we used to have uh, bronze, silver, gold, platinum, everybody was working their way up to the same level. Uh, this year we won't come to one standard. So we've rebuilt the entire certification stack. Um, it'll, it'll be software you can use with your team. If you've got technical folks, you can run it against your own system. You can see where you might need to make changes or upgrade things or see that you're already ready to pass. Um, and as we get to the end of the year here and we make that transition to um, the new testing and the new one certification, uh, it just really brings some unity around the way we do data as an industry, particularly at the MLS level. So um, that's exciting for us. For you, the... Um, just real quick, Sam, just because there might be some people that are new to MLS leadership. Can you briefly explain why the MLS certification is important for them to understand? 
Sure, that's a great that's a great point. I, I assume these things too often. Uh, so having a certified system is important from a business perspective because your customers can work with as many MLSs as they want in a similar way. So it's really the standards are just about having systems that can talk to each other. They're not all built differently, speaking different languages. And now your broker has to build six different systems to work with six MLSs. So the standard for data dictionary and the way we move data, which is the web API, are just a universal language of data and real estate. So getting a certification says you've built out your system to that level, systems can communicate. Um, it's a requirement for realtor MLSs to be in compliance with RESTO standards within 12 months of when a new standard comes out. So we step up these standards over time. There's Data Dictionary 1.5, 1.6, 1.7. And as we keep expanding those sets of fields and data, MLSs work with us to upgrade their systems to meet those certifications. Okay, thank you. Okay, thanks, good, good point. Um, so the other kind of more fun part I think for us is uh, this expansion into new areas. And it's a little bit about what Danae talked about. The rental space is obviously a big deal. The commercial side's a big deal, but also international. Uh, we've got organizations that we do second language data dictionary. So you've got folks we're working with in Florida and the Southwest and Mexico. Um, and then we've got international organizations who may speak the same language, but do things differently. MPAC is Ontario, Canada's largest uh, assessment data organization. So they're working with us to see how we could certify international organizations who have data sets that can conform to data dictionary standards, but they're not an MLS. That being said, they may be your MLS partners. And so as we talk about Rental Beast and CoStar and Crexi and MPAC, all these organizations from different verticals and different countries could be integrating their data with your system. So that's why it's exciting for us to be the platform to bring everybody together on that common language for their data um, and allow you to serve that to your customers. So we'll be talking about that at our conference. Um, we usually do about half sessions and then half work groups. We've got folks who get in there and dig into the weeds and, and develop the next set of standards. So we'd love to see you there, reso.org, it's easy to find. Wonderful. And yeah, Reso conferences, for those that haven't attended them before, are, are different than any other because of what Sam just said as far as you actually dig in and contribute work product during the conference session. So it's a great way to have your voice heard and then um, also meet the people that are actually helping develop the standards from across the industry, um, not just MLSs, but certainly vendors um, and, you know, associations and brokerages, they all come together. So uh, Risa does a great job as well. So, um, well, Sam, I know that you have to run to the Inman conference, but I want to thank both of you very much for spending some time with us here today. And um, we look forward to seeing you again at your conferences. Great being here. Thanks to both of you. Thank you. And with that, I would like to introduce the next speaker. Um, his name is Chris Haran. And Chris Haran is the Chief Technology Officer at MRED. And I'm very happy to be able to work with him. Uh, he's responsible for driving the strategic vision through technology, bringing people together. And that includes ideas and resources from innovators across the industry. 
prior to joining the MLS world, Chris worked at various levels of the marketing and operations department at a leading real estate brokerage. And he really supported agents in their quest to adopt new technology. He broke down disruptive concepts into why they matter to future business and help overcome the fear of the new. And with that, Chris, please let us know what's going on with data. Thank you, Rebecca, and nice to be here. And hopefully everyone's having a great conference so far. As Sam mentioned, we're uh, deep in conference season already. So everyone's hopping from Zoom call to Zoom call these days, I'm sure. So excited you could spend a few minutes with us today. What I wanted to cover today was a little bit about emerging tech trends and organized real estate. Uh, it's safe to say that no innovation happens in real estate without data. And many of the emerging technologies over the last few years and the years to come not only require data, but lots and lots of that data. So what we have to ask ourselves in organized real estate is this, is our industry staying competitive with innovation compared to other industries? And if not, why is that? So we've heard a lot about RISO today. Sam DeBoard, CEO, was obviously on the panel just a few minutes ago. Uh, and RISO really is the driving force behind standards in real estates. Uh, but what are standards? What are data standards and why do they matter to us? Technically, a standard really helps to define a field in a, debate, a database. So for RISO, it's about defining those fields that you would normally find in MLS databases and how they're delivered to brokerages, to vendors, other real estate technology partners. So as an example, this would mean that anyone who is using data knows where to look to find a bedroom field or a bathroom or so on. So as you go from MLS to MLS to MLS, you know that all those fields are going to be relatively the same from system to system. As Rebecca mentioned, I was, used to be with a brokerage and we worked with five different MLSs to get our data in. And the technical process of mapping and migrating all that data and matching it up could be very challenging, both from a time and resource perspective. So having standards at a very basic level can help address some of those things. But the other thing we want to talk about with standards is why they really matter, especially to the end users. So obviously to brokerages, there's some certain costs involved in making it easier to match up the, that data. But let's also think about that experience uh, on the front end of things for users who are using these systems. So we did a case study with a top agent team in our marketplace. They had anywhere from seven to 10 members on their team, generally do between 25 and 40 million in volume. And what was really interesting in talking with their director of operations was we asked these three questions that you see on the screen here. And the answers we got were fascinating, specifically that they were using any close to 30 systems on a regular basis, if not day to day, very often. And of those systems, they were logging in and out of each of those. And in many times they were uploading the same database over and over again. And what we saw was there was a lot of rekeying of the same information. So it was very inefficient. And honestly, it was very frustrating because to these agents, what they really wanted was to not have all of their time be spent doing data entry and data management. What they really wanted to be able to do is work with their, you know, their clients. And they wanted their team members to work on high value activities like marketing and promotions and follow-up and things like that. So in having these conversations, both at an MLS and a brokerage level, what we had agents asking for was an end-to-end -end system that was fully integrated with their information and in all systems. Now, obviously that's a bit of a unicorn because you're asking a lot of different vendors to cooperate. And if they're asking for that all-in-one, end-to-end, same system, what they're really asking for is integrations of the systems they have to use every single day. And in the technical world, integration really means interoperability, which is one of the end goals of a fully developed set of data standards. And yes, that is a real world, real word. 
Uh, interoperability is, from a defined standpoint, it's the ability of computer systems or software to exchange and make use of information. So as an example, think about email. What email do you use right now? Most of you are probably either on Gmail accounts, maybe you're using you know, Office 365. There's probably a few holdouts on AOL, Hotmail, Yahoo. I still have my old Yahoo account, a couple of them. But what's interesting about email is obviously you can email anyone else. You don't have to, as a Gmail user, only email other Gmail users. You can email Office 365 users. You can send messages to Yahoo, to AOL. And all of that happens because of a set of standards behind the scenes that allows those systems to interoperate with each other. So the idea of having that open email architecture allows you as a user to choose the email platform that you like the best because maybe the features work the way you want it to. Maybe it has mobile apps that you need to use on your phone. Maybe you just like the way that it handles your contacts. Whatever your reason for choosing that system, you chose it because of the features it offered not because of the amount of users that they had so you could just share information back and forth between those same users. So taking that idea of interoperability off of data standards, uh, let's talk about an example within real estate. And one of the ways we talk about incorporating interoperability in real estate is actually through transaction management. We have a group at RISO uh, working specifically on interoperability. So if this is a topic you're interested in, highly recommend you not only come to the conference, but join that work group as well. And our first use case is focusing on the idea of having a transaction manage management platforms talk to each other. So if you're an agent who's using .loop and you're working with another agent using DocuSign, how do you get those two systems to share information back and forth, to push that a signature has happened, to push completed paperwork uh, without having to choose one system over the other? Because what we see right now in the marketplace is that basically one side has to choose to work in the other or you're flattening PDFs and emailing it back and forth, which with the problem of phishing and wire fraud and all the other security issues we see in real estate, having that emailing is not a very secure and efficient process. So what we wanna do is create a way for agents to use the TM platform of their choice, but still be able to work with cooperating agents to complete that digital deal. And it sounds a lot simpler than it is because you do have to decide what is common between those systems. How do you create less friction in that transaction, but you still have to have competition. So going back to the email example, what are the things that are in common that can work behind the scenes? But then what are the features that are gonna stay different and unique to allow people to choose a system that they want to use? So that's some of the work that we're getting together right now. We've created a set of standards around that. And just like what we have with the data dictionary that's already out there that helps define fields within the MLSs, this is about defining fields within transaction management. And then after that, we want to look at things like customer relationship management systems and other marketing and vendor tools that uh, all of our agents and brokerages use. So the information that you have, the data that you have, can be easily flowed from system to system. And that's really why we want interoperability in real estate and what data standards will ultimately bring to interoperability. It's that efficiency of the workflow. It's the accuracy of your data because you're not having to rekey it. And honestly, it's going to create more innovation in the space. If every technology partner out there doesn't have to worry about mapping and migrating and matching up data, but can instead spend that time and money on building out new features, that's gonna be better for everyone. So standards, interoperability, all of that is really about making the data easier to get back to brokerages for their use. So whether you have a brokerage platform, you're doing market analysis, you're creating new tools, even in policy, you see focus being given to data, including things like the now policy mentioned earlier, the newest policy not passed by NAR that you see on screen here that Danae mentioned, uh, PDA or the MyDX policy. All of these are about getting data back to brokerages. 
But if that data does come back, what do the brokerage want to do with it? What can they do with it? To leverage some of the new technology options that are available, you really need large sets of data for training purposes. But who are you training? And what you're really training is robots. And the rise of robots in real estate is here with AI and automation making changes to our day-to-day -day tools and workflows. So on the screen here, we see artificial intelligence at some of the different branches. And you can get into many different areas with artificial intelligence. Uh, one of the more interesting ones uh, is speech, doing voice recognition, whether it's speech to text, text to speech, uh, being able to use you know, programs like Alexa or Google to do virtual uh, assistance. Uh, but what we want to focus on with real estate that seems to have a lot of opportunity, especially in the near future, would be machine learning and image recognition. So machine learning is the ability for a computer, a program to learn without explicitly being programmed. So you give them kind of a basic set of instructions and then they run scenario after scenario after scenario to learn how to continue to uh, uh, you know, adapt to those scenarios in the future. It really is sort of like a lighter version of a virtual assistant in a lot of ways because they're looking for suggestions and compliments to the data. They're looking for ways to fill in the holes, add additional layers. A few ideas that you see on the screen here would be maybe they're, they're going to help you with suggested pricing. So taking the idea of a CMA to the next level and helping you understand where are you pricing compared to the market and helping your consumer understand that. From a missing fields perspective, maybe you're doing listing inputs and you're creating that transaction and you have fields that maybe aren't required or optional in the MLS system, but if you filled them in, how helpful would that be to make your listing stand out? And then additional documents on the transaction management side, the idea that you want to make sure from a compliance perspective as a brokerage that you get everything you need. Obviously, you can create task lists now, but could that be done even smarter to add more fields and more documents in? So there's a lot that could be done with machine learning. The other one that's very interesting is computer vision. And with computer vision, you upload a photo, the computer reads it, and it can tell you what objects are in that photo. So in real estate, there's two different ways this could really work. One is from a compliance perspective. The other is from listing input. In compliance, maybe it tells you that there's a logo or branding in that image that you need to get rid of. Um, and your compliance team can then help manage that and be proactive about it rather than having agents tell on each other. Or in listing input, you can identify room types and what features and finishes are in those rooms and then auto-populate your listing input, hopefully creating more field entries. And again, taking away that data entry from an agent or from a brokerage or from staff and making them more data editors. So in conclusion, if we all work together to free the data for our members, this future is very bright for real estate technology and what it can provide ultimately for the end consumers, the buyers, the sellers, the renters, the investors, everyone on the other end. That can be interoperability, it can be artificial intelligence, or what our next speaker will touch on, which is business intelligence. So I'm very excited to introduce uh, Gay Koratan, is the Senior Economist and Director of Housing and Commercial Research at the Research Group of the National Association of Realtors. She manages the production of NARS housing statistics on existing home sales, home prices, affordability, and inventory oversees NARA's residential, commercial, land, and international market trends research and surveys, and conducts research on the economic, demographic, and local level conditions impacting housing and commercial real estate. She has an MS in statistical science from George Mason University, an MA and BS in economics from the University of Philippines, and an MS in industrial, industrial economics from the University of Asia and the Pacific Philippines. She holds a certified business economic designation from the National Association for Business Economics, and Gay, I'm very excited to turn it over to you. 
Thank you, Chris. Um, and uh, thank you. You know, we, we, we get a lot of uh, information from MRED and um, MRED is uh, the, one, of the, uh, one of the key MLSs that, um, you know, powers the data that we give to our uh, members. Okay, so let me uh, share my screen. You guys seeing it? Hello? We can see it just fine. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, hold on. It's not full screen. Okay, there it is. That's much better. So thank you so much. Glad to be uh, uh, here with you all. And, um, you know, I, I will explain today and give some, um, you know, how I'll give some ways of how NAR itself uh, uses the MLS data. Uh, at the end of the day, we're also a user of, of, of MLS data. And our objective is to provide this um, information that we have from MLS to our, uh, to our members, NAR members, so that you now can give that information to your clients, help them make uh, better informed uh, decisions. Um, so we all know that knowledge is power and I'll add that knowledge is wealth because uh, this knowledge will um, power, you know, your um, uh, business and how you can move this forward. Uh, it'll help you better understand uh, your clients. So really two things here I want to emphasize is um, you're using the MLS data to understand market conditions, right? Um, and that's how we look at it also. Is it a seller's market now? Are we now in a seller's market? Are we now in a buyer's market? Where are prices uh, going? Are they going up or are they going down? Well, how much is it going to take how much uh, will it take for me to sell the property? I mean, I, I get a lot of interviews and I get a lot of questions from the media and pretty much these are all, these are the three basic questions that I get asked on. So uh, you, you deal with your clients, right? And at the end of the day, they're also asking, well, is it a good time to uh, buy a house if you're a buyer's agent? You know, uh, at what price am I gonna buy? Um, and uh, maybe I should just wait, right? Wait for prices to uh, fall before I buy a house. And if you're a seller's agent, gee, should I sell my house now? Is it a good time to sell? How long is my house gonna sit on the market? Uh, do I have to take deep discounts? So, um, you know, I'm sure you, you deal uh, with a lot of these questions from buyers and sellers and the uh, MLS uh, um, data can provide that kind of information um, for you guys. And uh, I myself went to the MRED website and I saw some stats on that. So I I'm very glad uh, to see that. But uh, those statistics can be found in the MLS. And if they're not, well, I would suggest uh, that, you know, those are the aspects that can be uh, looked at so that you empower uh, our the members to take this data, uh, make it easy for them to grasp, and then make it easy for them also to just quickly share with their clients. So um, at the end of the day, you know, our client, our, our, our members are all very busy, right? Doing a transaction and uh, they're not gonna be usually thinking like an economist or, you know, spending a lot of time on digging and shifting and uh, using that data. So they really just want like quick bullets and snippets that they can share, but uh, 
before you give them those quick bullets and snippets, somebody has to have already thought through and filtered all through that mass of data. So really there's this mass of data from the uh, MLSS. And then the next step I think would be for the uh, uh, MLSS or the associations to sort of sift through and you know, get some uh, analysis from that. And, and at the national level, that is what NAR is doing. So that then the members can take this um, kind of like sifted uh, bottom line figures and relay them to their clients. So I, that, that's how I see this, um, uh, this efficient data uh, provision uh, from the MLSs to, to our members and then to their clients. So, um, how, uh, how do we use the MLS data? As I said, I'm very thankful. MRED um, is one of the uh, 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 MLSs that provide such data. And, uh, you know, that the MLS data powers uh, the uh, statistics that NAR provides to the public that uh, shape the story of what's going on in the housing market. So we publish uh, statistics, the existing home sales statistics, the pending home sales index, um, median existing home prices, the inventory of homes for the market, is it a tight market or not? What's the month supply, days on market, how long is it gonna take for me to sell my property? The home affordability index, um, how affordable is a home relative to income? And uh, we also of course supplement this uh, MLS data from a survey that we conduct uh, with our members. So from there we get information like, is this a first time buyer? Is this a distressed sale? Is this an investor buying the property? Is this a cash sale? But, you know, I think, who knows, maybe in the future, the MLS can provide us such data, right? So right now we don't have that. So we have to go, uh, you know, conduct that survey. Uh, but if the MLS can provide that information, um, so kind of like broadening from just uh, 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 providing information about the property itself, to broadening um, the, the scope of the data and maybe linking with other sources of data to provide um, uh, um, uh, data about the demographics, right, of the buyers and maybe the area where that property is. And I think that's already what uh, RPR is doing, right? That's the objective of RPR. Here's a property that's listed, but if you click on this property and even realtor.com, right? So here's a property. And then if you click on it, well, what are the good schools nearby? Who are buying? You know what? What is the demographics of the place? So, um, so it's just a food for thought of how the MLS uh, provision of data can be uh, expanded. So, um, and this is just how we use it. And as, as I said, you know, um, clearly from this data, we see that the housing market is uh, recovering um, quickly and strongly. Kind of a surprise, but uh, of course. The, the market plummeted because of the economic lockdown, but uh, with the economy opening up, so you're seeing a resurgence. Um, and then we also look at home prices. We're seeing the same trend that uh, home prices have uh, strongly rebounded again, 9% year over year gain in prices. Um, prices never really did fall as much as uh, existing home sales. And uh, that's because we also didn't have sellers selling their property. At, um, and, and slashing prices. Um, so we don't have the foreclosure rates that happened uh, during the Great Recession uh, now. So uh, we don't see prices falling, but we do see a, a, a pullback in uh, listings. Now this, the, the shortage in listings is not something that just happened during the pandemic, but the pandemic um, um, sort of, um, you know, uh, um, 
accelerated that uh, trend. Um, so inventory has always been tight uh, from the uh, data that we're pulling from the uh, uh, MLSs. Uh, typically the uh, month supply of homes was six months um, uh, prior uh, to the uh, crash or the great recession. Uh, now we're looking at three months, so very tight. Um, and, and I'm explaining it this way, and I'm uh, showing the data this way so that you yourselves, you know, can kind of see how we're using the data and then on your end see, uh-huh, you know, this is how they're using the data. So I can also help, I can also understand what's happening in the housing market in my local market by looking at this kind of statistics. Um, and another statistic, uh, the you know, you, you you guys know this, right? When you look at a property, you see, you see how long that property has been there in the market. So we just take that and aggregate it. Um, so again, uh, hopefully, you know, if you go to a, an MLS website, you can see also aggregate statistics. Uh, so, and I think uh, MRED has started doing that. Although I must say, when I went to the website, I didn't see days on the market. I did see sales. I think I saw prices, but I did not see information on days on the market on inventory. So maybe that kind of aggregate information can be expanded and then provided to, um, to the members and the users of, of uh, the MLS data. So that again, they can take this information and then uh, bring it to bear to their transactions. I mean, they're already experts at that particular transaction, right? But if they're asked, gee, what's gonna happen in the you know, two years from now? You know, or well, how is the other market doing? Sure, prices in my market are, uh, are picking up, but are they picking up more elsewhere? So this aggregate view of the market is something that is very important to provide uh, to the members um, and to the users of the MLS. Um, so I just went to the uh, Illinois Realtors uh, website and I found this market stat. So as I said, you know, this is great. You know, so it's something that your members can just probably take you know, I don't know, put in their own website or SNP and email, or it's it just an easy way for them to see, oh, okay, home sold 14% now, you know, um, uh, and uh, what was it? Um, uh, uh, so in Illinois, it's 14%, but in the Chicago area, hmm, it's a little bit, um, uh, sales are not picking up as, as fast, right? But uh, you know, but, uh, you, but you know, double digit growth, you know, you, you get a sense that yes, this market is picking up, right? And prices are also accelerating. Uh, but the point is if, if, if the associations and the MLSs can provide this uh, information like this, that's already uh, sort of filtered, and then you get to the nuggets and the bullet points, that's great for the members. Uh, and as I said, I went to the MRAD uh, website and I saw this, um, so it was interesting. So here you can see that uh, in, um, in April, right? So the blue line here would show your closed sales. Year over year, they were below the uh, green bars, which are your 2019. Uh, but then when you, once you start getting into 2017, you see the uh, uh, blue bars. Um, sorry, where is that? April, right? Well, some of them here, you see the blue bars picking up more than the green bars. And so you know that the market is recovering. So you guys produce uh, disclosed listings, and I think, um, as I, but as I said, you know, I didn't see anything on uh, days in market or inventory. So I think that's something that's good to provide uh, out there as well. Um, and then, you know, just again from the MLS, uh, here we, we are comparing prices. So we see that home prices in um, Champaign-Urbana are actually doing better than in other um, Chicago areas. But so I was, as I was uh, thinking about this, so at NAR we do this. So um, 
and and again, uh, sorry, Chris, <laughs> if I'm if I'm sort of pushing on to uh, what can be done uh, about the uh, MRAD uh, website. So uh, I didn't see any uh, county level comparison. So it might be good also since you have the data out there. You know, hey, provide kind of like a comparison among the counties. What's happening out there? So again, you know, I, I think that the uh, uh, the agents are already experts in that transaction when they deal with a client, but what they need to see is a, a broader view of the market. So um, it will be interesting, you know, to provide such kind of information on your website or on the, you know, Illinois Realtors website. Um, so in terms of uh, kind of like the data that can be collected, so the question now is, I think the key question is, are, where are people going? Are they going to the suburbs? You know, with all this work from home, um, is there a, a, a shift to the suburbs? And we're trying to use MLS data to, uh, to sort of get that picture, you know? So we're saying, okay, uh, from the MLS data, we know, we know which are the cities, and we also know the uh, sales in the metro area. So we're trying to get statistics like, well, let's get the share of the city to the metro area. Again, just to give that story of where is the market heading? You know, what, what is happening? You know, so kind of give a bigger picture. And uh, here we're seeing that where you have the uh, blue lines, and what did I say? If the city, if the city sales are lower than the uh, uh, metro area sales, it's a blue line. So yes, well, not necessarily that. Uh, so here, like the blue lines, right? So Chicago is a blue line. Um, so that means that. Um, uh, the share of uh, sales of Chicago are um, have declined uh, compared to a year ago compared to the uh, sales of the entire metro area. Um, not necessarily yet that they're moving. It could just be because of the lingering effects of the lockdown, right? So um, Chicago is more urban, so people were not comfortable yet looking at homes in Chicago versus looking at a home in the suburb. So, but over time, you know, uh, if we, we, we're looking at this data to, to kind of make an assessment of, uh, as I said, where that shift is, uh, is going. Um, so any information, you know, that can be provided uh, on, on websites and to customers that will help them, um, you know, uh, understand this shift better is going to be uh, great. Um, now we've talked about, and I was really, uh, I was really so happy to, to hear about the discussion between Binet about uh, commercial real estate. Um, so residential uh, uh, has not been, uh, residential is, I would think, doing very well, as I showed in the charts, but it's commercial that has been hit. And we've seen here uh, sales plummeting. Um, and one of the key questions also in commercial is, are people going to continue to telework? And this is U.S. Census Bureau data that showed that um, there is a, decline in the share of workers who are teleworking, 35% uh, telework, and now it's just about 24%. But if you dig deeper, like if this, the office using industries like 65 to 80% of workers uh, are teleworking. So it's still evolving and, and might evolve towards a new normal. But again, we need that kind of information from the MLSs, right? And, and we, we, we looked at uh, what we call uh, work from home counties. And so we were trying to see which are those uh, counties that have the largest potential for people to work from home. And, um, and we used um, uh, factors that we took from the US Census Bureau. Well, what percent of people have a computer? You know, uh, in that area, how many uh, internet service providers do you have? What percent of the workforce is already doing, is already in office using jobs? 
What are the median prices there? Very important, right? Because, hey, am I going to move to this area? And I already read something like people from uh, San Francisco or San Jose might be moving to cheaper area, but of course they got to take a, a pay cut, you know, but that price variable is really important in, uh, um, in, 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 in making that decision of whether you're going to be working from home in a suburb and then maybe just, yeah, and yeah, so just commuting maybe one or two days a week. But again, we use the information from uh, the MLSS, and I'm and I'm and I'm now kind. I'm sorry, I'm kind of like shifting between my hat as a data user and also uh, explaining to you guys how you can use the data. But now I'm more I'm taking the hat of someone who is using the data. So so we've used the MLS uh, data uh, and uh, U.S. Census Bureau data to you know make an assessment. Um, of which counties are work for moment. Yeah, Georgia, Colorado, Texas, Virginia, Ohio. Uh, I do not see any county in um, Illinois that made it to the top uh, 30, but if you go to the uh, NAR webpage and actually just click NAR uh, work from home counties, uh, something will come up and then uh, you'll get a sense there of the counties in uh, Chicago that are, or in Illinois that are good for working from home. Um, and with that, I think my time is up. So uh, thank you so much. And I'll be willing to share this uh, with everybody. Great. Thank you so much, Gay. And thank you um, to all of our attendees for spending the past hour with us. And um, just uh, real quick, uh, the weekly market snapshot that was just part of that last presentation. Um, if any of the associations out there in Illinois that aren't members of MRED want to look at that, it's available publicly on our MREDLLC.com website. And we would also, if you're interested at all in um, combining data with your MLS's information, we could easily aggregate that and then have all of it available on your MLS's website. Um, that's just a standing offer. If anyone wants to work further with them right on that, we would love that. And with that, um, again, thank you to Illinois Realtors for making this forum possible. And I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. Okay.